Hello and welcome to the Tune Up, the new podcast brought to you by the Melbourne Recital Centre, where we take a deep dive into the minds of Melbourne music's finest. I'm Maxim Boone. I'm Megan Stella. And today we're joined by oboist Ben Opie, the founder of Inventi Ensemble. Thank you for joining us. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. It is so good to have you on our brand new podcast for the Recital Centre. And now you have a very impressive bio. <laughs> now we've done a little bit of research and realised that you have a very impressive written bio as well. One of the best, I would say. <laughs> it starts like this. Two types of people walk the alleys of Melbourne's wildly eclectic art scene. Those who argue classical music is a static art form and those who know the work of Ben Opie. Boom! What an introduction! (laughs) (laughs) That's the best. So, Ben, tell us a little bit about what you do. What I do. I was thinking about this this morning um, and I remember when you invited me here today, you said something about wearing the different hats that I have to wear and then I was thinking, how many hats is that exactly? <laughs> what sort of hats? <laughs> um, exactly, what sort of hats? And I guess it's it's always interesting for me reflecting on when, you know, I was in a basement in Germany pra- furiously practising my scales and thinking, oh, this is the thing that I need to do to be the musician that I want to be. And then cut to 10 years later where, I don't know, I'm crafting of an afternoon making musical instruments for visually impaired children to experiment on or going into an immigration detention centre or artistically directing a music festival and all of these different things. It's sort of funny to think where one comes from and how that can change and how every, everyone's life can change um, as we go along. And so I guess in answer to your question, uh, I am an oboist. Uh, probably foremost an oboist, but then um, over the years, uh, after founding Inventi Ensemble with my co-artistic director, Melissa Dakey, um, that's grown into a huge project for us, which is wonderful. We, we love making music and it's just such a great platform for us to, I guess, ha- almost have a playground of uh, music making with the, with the people that we want to make music with. Um, and then on top of that, I run, um, I'm the artistic director of the Peninsula Summer Music Festival. And then I'm a freelance artist as well. So that means I jump into orchestra every now and then, which again, coming from, I guess, way, way back when I was training to be a professional oboist, that was always the goal, you know, get into an orchestra and win the audition and then see what happens from there. And it's, again, just a, a funny little thing every now and then to reflect on that and see I love orchestra. I love I love it so much, but it's turned into a relatively small part of what this portfolio career has become. Absolutely. It's super, super diverse. And I did want to talk to you about inventing Inventi. Very good. Uh, where did that come from? I did just congratulate myself. Yeah, you did. You did. That's okay. Some things need to be acknowledged. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Where did it come from? Well, Melissa and I have known each other for a very long time. We studied at the um, Canberra School of Music. And so from there, uh, I think, yeah, we were there at the same time for a couple of years, a crossover by a couple of years. I then went to Germany. She went to London and we kept in touch and visited each other every now and then. And um, we, we kept on sort of having ideas and we would always, whenever we would catch up, we would rarely play over over the next few years together. Um, but we would just say, oh, we should do this. And we should, oh, we should incorporate this into a concert. Wouldn't it be great if we could do this? So all these ideas were kind of bubbling away, but without any output at that stage. And then uh, there were a few times when we had these crazy uh, 
meetings, I remember getting a text message from her while I was in Germany and she said, um, you're about to get a phone call, answer it. It's going to be weird, but do it. And I thought, geez, this is it. What on earth is I going to happen? Yeah. And so then, of course, you know, maybe I think half an hour later, um, I got this phone call and, and it was a, a random number, not even from a country code that I recognized as well. And I thought, mm. And this was kind of this was sort of before the days of those regular spamming things, and so it was odd that it was coming. Well, this from is like the opening of a spy movie. Right? This exactly. is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I answered it, and and this person just said, "Oh, um, you know, I'm, I'd just like to invite you to come and play a concert in the Kingdom of Bahrain." And I was like, "Oh, well, I've been told to say yes." So yes, <laughs> and where so, is that? Yeah. <laughs> so I was flown to the Middle East, and um, so this is this tiny little kingdom um, off the coast of Saudi Arabia, and uh, so it was myself and another colleague, oboe playing colleague of mine from Germany, who knew Melissa as well, and a couple of other people from around the place, and um, which was just a hoot, and you know, great after many years of not playing with Melissa, this is the place where we end up playing together, and then after the concert jumping out into the desert and riding camels for a yeah. <laughs> couple of hours. As you do. Yeah, as you do. Um, and so that was, just, you know, the, the history of Melissa and I kind of chasing each other around the world and, um, and, and sometimes getting to play with each other, but only in the weirdest possible circumstances. And then finally, both of us being back in Australia and still having these conversations of bubbling ideas and, and trying to work out when and where and how we can make them happen, which I think is the challenge for... A lot of us in the industry. So then we, we started to have a few opportunities. We were working a lot with Peter Diaga, a pianist. And so we were doing lots of trio repertoire. We commissioned a few new pieces. I think one of the first concerts we ever did was it included a, a, a new commission, a world premiere by um, mm. Mark Gayden, who's the principal bassoon player in the Adelaide Symphony and also an excellent composer. So he wrote um, our first commission, which was The Arguments of Beatrice and Virgil, which is just a, a duo for flute and oboe. And I think that gave us a bit of a taste of commissioning new works and and seeing seeing I guess how, how we could explore that, how we could include that into our programming, and that's been an ongoing um, part of Inventi Ensemble. In terms of what we do, when we were thinking about a name, it sort of was thinking, you know, well, what is it that we want to do? And I think it was this idea of being able to create something new or invent something, but also reinvent things that already exist but are of an incredible quality or of, of what we feel like is an incredible quality. So it's that that idea of, I guess, looking back, being in the present and then looking to the to the future. I think that's where, I guess, Inventi Ensemble, yeah, came from, that, that the idea of what we wanted to do as an ensemble. Well, Max and I are going to buy the film rights for Inventi Ensemble because that is a great story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Incredible. Deal. <laughs> the upcoming concert you have seems like a really good example of everything you guys do. Yep. Where you have this uh, this new arrangement of Scheherazade, which for a small ensemble, and you know, if anyone knows that Rimsky Korsakov orchestral behemoth, mm -hmm. it is a very substantial, very large piece of music that you guys are focusing down and distilling into this chamber version. Just tell us about that, about taking this piece, which is so colourful, is known for such a kind of palette of orchestral sounds mm. and making it into this compact chamber marvel. It is 
challenging. (laughs) 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 However, we've got such a great team of people. I think that's what, and I guess that's what um, the success of Inventi Ensemble has come down to is the team of people who who work with us and who support us. Um, In the past, so... We've worked. We've worked on things like Prokofiev's classical symphony. Same thing. Reduced it for five players. So generally, at the moment, our core team of of instruments is flute, oboe, violin, viola, cello, and then we sometimes get bigger, sometimes smaller, depending on money. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so it was interesting. So I did the um, arrangement for the Prokofiev, and Melissa's done some arrangements of the uh, Carnival of the Animals and um, Swan Lake, uh, Nutcracker as well. Um, and for this one, um, we, we have been working with Glenn Davies, who's a part of our team as well. And so we approached him um, for Scheherazade and it took a little while for him to respond. <laughs> I, think, I think because he was really... Because this thinking, is obviously a prank. Yeah, yeah, that's no right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but eventually he came back and he said, yep, I, I, I want to take, take this on, take on the challenge. And um, so then there's been a nice sort of uh, back and forth. That's, and that's always the way that I think these things have to work. Um, we'll get some material and we get to workshop it. And then there are certain things, I guess, especially with something like Scheherazade, um, we all know it so well as, as players. We've, I think mo- most, all of us, I'm sure, have played it in orchestra. And so it's that feeling of having a piece already in us and then being able to, as a quintet, present it. And, you know, th- there's moments where um, uh, Melissa's playing, I think, the, yeah, she's playing the bassoon solo on alto flute. And so we sit there and we listen and what can we do? What how much do we want to sound like a bassoon in that moment? And how much do we just want to own that this is actually an alto flute solo now in this version of it? And it's a really, I, I find that a really fun aspect of this process of choosing whether or not, like these colours that we want to present, we want to stay true to, to Rimsky-Korsakov's original, but at the same time, it's not going to sound like a bassoon. It's an alto flute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so trying to find that balance. Um, one other question. I wanted to go back to your biography, mm-hmm. this extraordinary uh, literary triumph um, <laughs> that we, uh, you know, we were doing our research and we were like, we need look no further, really seriously <laughs> Google this and read it because it's gorgeous. Um, but the, this one line sort of struck me. You take him for a Melbourneian, of course, bearded, sharply dressed and with a warm and generous demeanour. But other than those... <laughs> Visual cues. <laughs> yeah. All true. Uh, yes, all true. all true, by the way. Um, it seems that actually the kind of the artistic identity you have as a oboist, um, as a curator, as um, a thought leader and a mentor and someone who um, works a lot in outreach uh, is, again, of something that feels very Melbourneian. It has that kind of diversity. Um, is that something that has sort of just emerged in your career slowly or has it always been a kind of a real ambition to develop that level of versatility the versatility has always been there despite the despite what i was saying before about um, sort of having this orchestral goal um there was always uh, an itch that needed scratching that that i knew that orchestra wouldn't couldn't um fulfill for me and so i think there was always a drive there um I just get too hungry. I think that's the yeah. thing. I get too and, – and I see um, a big band playing and I think, I, I need to be part of that. <laughs> and then I hear a world music ensemble and just think, no, I, I need to be able to be part of that music making. And so I think it does come from uh, just that hunger to just be I, – I, I want to make as much music as possible. And so 
I think bit by bit I've put myself in a position where that's what I'm doing, um, which I'm grateful that that's the way that it, it's landed for me because um, it is it is important. And I guess the kind of one of the most exciting things about your role as artistic director of the Peninsula Summer Music Festival, it's a wonderful um, festival down in the Mornington Peninsula, is that you get to amplify that very broad admiration and love for music through the lens of many musicians. Just tell me a bit about curating that festival and the kind of musical opportunities that's opened up for you. I love that festival. It was started out as a beautiful boutique um, early music festival by Julia Fredersdorf and, you know, and it was a one weekend and now it's grown into this um, amazing few couple of weeks depending to the deal with the peninsula summer music festival is it's the first two weekends of the year so that means it can change a little bit depending on where the weekends fall um but it's a lot of music making and over the years it's just grown uh to include as many different types of music as possible which i think is wonderful and you know whenever i think about what the role of especially something that's called the peninsula summer music festival it's all music, and so we can embrace all kinds of music, whether it's the the local musicians um, or you know bringing in, in international guests and um, celebrating, I guess, the different spaces that we can activate on the peninsula um, and celebrating the music that can be made there. Now, one of the things we wanted to ask you about, obviously, you are a, a musician of extraordinary skill. You surround yourself with beautiful sounding things, but the oboe as an instrument is in that kind of category. And I think that's probably, it's not a small category, a large category of instruments that as a beginner <laughs> is sort of, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrifying until it's not. Um, uh, I was an oboist, so that's, that was my instrument when I was younger. Um, and I remember when I was learning the oboe, there weren't that many other oboists. I'm just wondering if you, if you can see that, is there a, are, are they an endangered species? Because learning it is a, a truly terrifying part in a young musician's <laughs> life. Do you know, I, I, I was talking to uh, Carla Blackwood, a beautiful French horn player the other day, and we were talking about how French horn is, I think, in, sort of in that same category. And these instruments really do choose people. And mm. so I think that's part of it. I, the endangered thing, I just think it's selective in, in you know, the, I think these I like instruments. I that Darwinian yeah. kind of selection. I like that. Yeah. That's good. So they, and because I, I remember for me, um, there was this fascinating thing turning up in uh, grade eight at my high school, South Australia, so grade eight um, high school. And then, uh, and being asked, what elective instrument do you want to choose? And so I already played piano. Um, and my mum at the time had said, oh, so um, when it comes to choosing the elective instrument, we'll go with clarinet because your uncle's got one, so we don't have to hire an instrument. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, and just sort of bumble along. And then it was that moment where they and – and clarinet came up and I said, yes, me, me please. And so I went down with the dozens of other, other people who chose clarinet. And then um, it got to oboe and I just, without even thinking, just said, I'm changing my mind. Oboe, please. Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, without even – without hesitating. And then, and then after that, I think uh, I, I really do believe that I, I had one of the best teachers to start me off. And so that meant – doing breathing exercises and read exercises for the first couple of weeks, which was infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else was already like making weird sounds and bashing drums and playing saxophone. And I was just there going, 
<laughs> and if anyone hasn't heard what an oboe reed sounds like when it's not attached to this big beautiful instrument, it is a tiny, annoying yep. mosquito of a sound. Yep. Um, that yeah, it doesn't matter how good you are, it's always gonna Just, yeah. <laughs> it's always gonna be a pretty yeah. kind of painful um, sound. So yeah, so I imagine being a beginner. Just uh, doing some heavy breathing and uh, popping around on an oboe uh, reed. Yeah. Your poor parents. It's a, yeah, well, how did your mum feel about that? I think it was, it was <laughs> again, uh, what I will say is uh, early oboe playing can be really uh, challenging, I think, for listeners and for parents. Um, <laughs> but with the right teacher, I think, um, you know, I just, it, it, it was slow, slow but good progress. And um, it just meant that I wasn't, the, the temptation, I guess, when you're just grabbing an oboe for the first time is to just blow in as, as hard as you can and make these awful sounds. I think because of my teacher, that was relatively few and far between, um, unless I was deliberately just being silly. Yeah. <laughs> Never <laughs> I, happened. I, I Never thought happened. your story was going to be similar to my story, which mm. was told to play the clarinet by mum, got to the end, and I, they, they'd run out of clarinets. So like we've only got an oboe for you. So it was, <laughs> were you disappointed? I uh, well, were you ready for that clarinet? Actually, I didn't mind in the end because yeah. I was like the only person who played the oboe, so I was by default the best. Yes, <laughs> it's great to be that big fish small, in yeah. a tiny pond. Very small pond. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, the Inventing Ensemble will be playing at the MRC on the 18th of July, and that's where you can hear Ben and his uh, fellow Inventi uh, players um, playing Scheherazade and also a new work. That's right. Right. Uh, so a new work by the amazing Kywin Martin, who's a Melbourne-based composer. Um, we worked with her earlier in the year. Um, this is a bit of a bit of a story that um, there's a church, St John's Church in Flinders, um, has this beautiful stained glass window by David Wright, and I remember being on the peninsula as part of the festival and watch and just listening to the music and looking at this beautiful window and mentioning it to um, someone down there, and they said, "Oh." yeah, well, we're having another window installed soon by David Wright and we're commissioning this new window. And I said at the time, well, wh how do you feel about a new piece as well to celebrate the window so we can sort of have a, a partner piece to this window? And then when thinking about who could write a piece for in, in dedication of this stained glass window, Kywin, who's a, an old friend and, and excellent colleague, um, came to mind. And then I really couldn't get away from thinking of her as the perfect person to write that piece. And she just did such a beautiful job. So sensitive. She went down, she talked with David and, and saw the process of making the window and then wrote this amazing piece called Women of the Earth, um, which, yeah, partnered with, with this window perfectly. And so then when it came to um, looking for someone to write a partner piece for Scheherazade and also looking for that, that same sensitivity um, I, I, we just found it hard to go past Kywin. And so sure enough, um, after we asked her, you know, these things sometimes have a way of, again, being serendipitous, I guess, where um, she just said, you know, Scheherazade's one of my favourite pieces of all time. I constantly listen to it. I'm obsessed with it. I can't believe that this is an opportunity that's been presented to me. And then um, as part of her process of composition, she wrote to all of our players and said, I want to know what books you're reading. What are the stories? What are the tales um, that you're reading? I want to gather those 1,001 you know, stories to, to have in my head as I compose this piece. And... Again, and so then, then um, workshopping the piece together and hearing these different elements, both, I guess, some elements of 
Rimsky-Korsakov coming through, these, these whispers and echoes um, of his music combined with her voice, which is quite distinct as well, has just been a really great process. And the really nice kind of connection narratively between those two, which are both about storytelling, and the story of Jeherazade, if you don't know, dear listener, is that uh, Jeherazade uh, is, is, for a thousand and one nights, is telling these wonderful stories uh, so that she doesn't get her head cut off. That's that right. is the abridged and possibly very <laughs> unsatisfying version. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously a beautiful um, curatorial link between those two pieces. Mm. And you can hear both on the 18th of July right. here at the Melbourne Recital Centre. Okay, we've come to the part of the show now we like to call the Tune Out because we've escaped the studio and headed into the belly of the beast to meet one of the fine men and women who work in this wonderful venue and keep it ticking. Uh, I'm very excited. Are you excited, Megan? I am very excited because we have the very wonderful Hamish Upton with us today. He is uh, a percussionist, part of the ensemble Ossicle, uh, but for the purposes of this recording, he is most importantly an usher at the Melbourne Recital Centre. Hello, Hamish. Oh, it's great to be here. <laughs> it's very exciting uh, to have you. And I, I wondered, with you know all the staff that work here, you are a musician and artist. Are many of the staff members musicians slash artists? Yeah, we've got quite a few. There's also some comedians who have ah. just started, actually, and a couple of actors as well. So we've got a whole spectrum of different people who work here. And it's really interesting to uh, hang out and chat to people when we get a chance to get to know each other and all of the weird and wonderful things we do outside of ushering. Has it gotten funnier since the comedian? Well, joined? you know, it's good to know <laughs> all the artists are struggling, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say so, but also, you know, when you're at, you're at a party and, and you sell someone you know, a drummer or something, and then they'll be like, "Oh, do a drummer." I'm like, I meet a comedian. I'm not going to be like, "Do a drummer." Oh, tell us a joke. <laughs> So yeah, they love that. You should definitely do it. <laughs> they don't love it. They don't. I'm sure they don't. They really don't. Um, so we are going to very scientifically um, assess which of these particular uh, cough lollies um, is the most to least annoying uh, presence in the hall. Unfortunately, we couldn't find any scientists, so it's just going to be me and Megan and uh, Hamish. So we just need to um, uh, get into it. So I've got here. A classic oh. for those with genuine throat issues, the strepsil. What, what flavour did you go with? I've gone with the uh, original honey and lemon. Oh, that's a personal, that's a medicinal. personal favourite. Okay. Soothing. But is this a personal favourite when you're ushering and someone oh. does this? Well. Oh, God. It takes so long. It takes a long time. And particularly if people are trying to be quiet and they think they're being subtle. So what they do is they do it a bit slower, which oh. actually takes longer. Exactly. And I would normally, if I had to make kind of sound I didn't want other people to hear, I'd probably cough. But that sort of defeats the object, right? <laughs> yeah. If you're coughing to coughing. cover up the sound of your cough drop. But, um, <laughs> but I agree. I think the slowly, slowly does not win the race no, in no. this instance. Do it fast. Pop it out quickly. Pop out the... Done. <laughs> I'm sorry, that like, came out so wrong. Like so. Like so. <laughs> I mean, probably with less gusto than that. that I mean, you can good. be a bit more subtle. You don't subtle. want to lose your... You don't want to kind of pulling your cup no. up. No, no, no. Yeah, I think people might s- complain if they get hit on the head from <laughs> falling true. strepsils. Um, 
Okay, what have we got next? Now we've got an Aussie classic, the eucalyptus drop. Now the eucalyptus drop, this is in like an annoying packet. Yeah. This, this is like a crisp packet almost. I would like to add to this conversation that I had to look very hard <laughs> to find this particular kind of annoying sweet. So people who are bringing it with them, yeah. they're going the extra mile to, to bring their noisy crinkly crinklies in. Yeah. Okay, so here you we can't go. Pull them I've, up. Ne- I've honestly never seen this. Now, that would be the worst-case scenario if someone was like, I'm not even going to bother opening the packet before the concert starts. That would be annoying. Mm. They do smell lovely. Okay, so here we go. Okay. Oh, it's stuck. It's in my mouth. I've I've completed the task. It took so long, Max. Ooh, that took it a took long so long. Time. And it smells now like... Ooh, it's like a mouthful of Vicks vapor rubbish. I'm, I'm standing like two metres away and I can smell that. Yeah. So that, that's offensive on two different levels. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to keep it in there. So I'm, just, I'm warming to it now. Mm. What are we going to next? Save that for later. And <laughs> next, I, now this, this is unlikely to crop up. But I wanted to get some kind of wrapped sweet. As I say, I, look, I did extensive searching <laughs> for various kinds of wrapped sweet. Ugh. I can't even get into these. <laughs> uh, so here we go. Wrapped chew. God, it's like Fort Knox. No, I can't even do it. Really no, that's, 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 that's the worst. worst. Okay, that's the most annoying. So I think we've got a we've got a quite definitive ranking now. I think at the worst end, the wrapped sweet, particularly of this sort of See, post-apocalyptic. All that's left is cockroaches and this sweet because um, it's so what well is wrapped. It? You didn't tell us what it. What it was. It's just well, this is just a generic chew. It's a high chew. Does it say high? High chew. High chew. High chew. So our definitive ranking, I think, we've got. At the worst end, the wrap sweet. Definitely. A close second is the uh, the very fragrant. <laughs> the offensively and fragrant. Uh, uh, eucalyptus drop. <laughs> and then the best is probably the easiest to get hold of as well. The strepsil, yeah. should you eject it fast, fast. <laughs> rip it off like a, getting an eyebrow wax. Ooh. Done. Painful image. Painful, but effective. <laughs> Very efficient. You are more than welcome to bring any kind of cough drop to pop if you need to during a concert, but maybe pick a quiet one. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to The Tune-Up, an original podcast for the Melbourne Recital Centre, hosted by Megan Stella and Maxim Boone, produced and edited by Maxim Boone, and recorded in the studio and on location at the Melbourne Recital Centre.